So we've been walking through this whole series, and, and today we are at the step of acceptance. Step six is acceptance. And, and the title of the, the sermon today is Labels Lie. And, and I just, I want you to get in the, in the, in your mind the types of labels that people have put on you through the years. And I want you to think about that because that's where we're going to go today is we're going to talk about how to get rid of those labels and have the child of the one true king. That be our name. All right. Uh, several years ago, we used to read this book by Max Licato to our children. It's called You Are Special. Any of you uh, ever read this book? Great book. And if you haven't got it, if you've got kids, actually, some of you don't even have kids. You need to read this. This is a great book because here's the premise. The Wemics are a uh, group of small wooden people, and they're all carved by one carver. He's the maker, the master, called Eli. And all the, the Wemics live in one town. Uh, some have big noses, others have large eyes, some were tall, others were short, some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver, Eli, and they all lived in this little village. Uh, Picture two. Now that's the background. Now here's what they did all day. You can't see this real well. This is one of the pictures. But what they did was all day, every day, the Wemix went around and did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. They had a collection of golden star stickers and they had another collection of gray dots. And here's what they did. Up and down the streets, over the city, people spent their day sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with nice smooth wood, uh, good paint, they always got stars. But if the wood was rough, if there were chips in the paint, you got a, a, a gray dot. Does that sound familiar? Kind of sounds like our society, especially with uh, social media and things going on today. Those with the most talent got stars. The strongest and most, a- most athletic got stars. The smart ones and the ones who could sing well got stars. And every time they got a star, they did their best to get more stars because it made them feel so good that they had stars. But the untalented ones got only dots. And the more they tried to do well, the more the Wemics would come and place dots on them. It got to the point that the less talented, less physically attractive, less smart Wemics didn't go outside at all. And if they did, they tended to hang out with other Wemics who had dots because somehow that made them feel better about themselves. Finally, a girl comes along and she doesn't have any stickers on her. They won't stick to her. And, and, um, every person they put it on there, it would fall off. And when asked why, she said, every day I spend time with my maker. And do you know what the maker said? He said, I don't care what the other Wemix think. And you shouldn't either. He said, uh, who are they to give stars? They're just Wemix like you. What they think doesn't matter. All that matters is what I the maker think. Now this is a, this is a, uh, children's choir that decided to put on this, this book. Um, they put a play on at their church and that's why they're standing there with stars and dots. And that's kind of how we, if we could, if we could show the labels that we have today, some of us would have more stars. Some of us would have more dots. Now, when asked why the stickers didn't stick to the girl, the maker said, because she has decided, this is key. She has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. The more you trust my love, the maker says, the less you care about the stickers. The more you trust your maker's love, the less you care about the labels. Now, I just have a question. If you've had pain in your past, let me see your hands. All right, this crowd participation. All right. If you hadn't raised your hand, you're lying. But, um, or you're in denial. Okay. Because here's, here's where I want to go. First... If you've suffered pain because of your own poor choices, you made a dumb decision, no one forced you to make it, you, you, uh, 
made that choice and you had to suffer the consequences. You've suffered pain in your past because of your choices. Let me see your hands. All right. Now, um, others of you, you suffered pain because of the choices of, of others. Um, maybe a parent abound, abandoned you, a, a spouse cheated on you, a family member said you were dumb or stupid or too tall or too fat or too short or whatever. Let me see your hands. So everyone has dots then. If we were going to be real honest, all of us have dots on us because people have put labels on us. But some of you, here's the problem, you've allowed those dots to stick. And today I want to show you how to get rid of those dots and how to have the label that your heavenly father, your maker, has created for you. We're going to look at a man named Joe, and he's in the Old Testament. It's a very familiar story, but I'm going to try to give it to you in a way that maybe you hadn't thought about before. Now, to say that Joe's family tree is shaky is the understatement of the year, and you'll understand why when I, when I get all this uh, out here. The problems begin before Joe ever is born. His dad was named, a man named Jacob, and his name means trickster or cheater. And we talked about him just a couple of weeks ago in this series. And uh, in Genesis 27, we find out that that... Jacob tricked his older twin brother out of the birthright. Now, the birthright back then was a big deal because the oldest son got twice as much of the inheritance that anyone else did. And so one day, Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright for a bowl of soup. Later, with his mother's help, all right, so he he, he was his mom's favorite. Esau was the dad's favorite. Um, they tricked his half-dead, half-deaf, all-blind father into giving Jacob the blessing. So not only did, did Jacob get the birthright, which is double the inheritance, but he also got the blessing that, that uh, Esau should have had. And when his older brother Esau found out, Jacob had to run for his life, literally. Now you say, I had to run for my life. No, he literally had to run for his life because Esau said, as soon as this period of mourning is over for our dad because it would be improper to kill my brother during mourning. I'm going to kill him when that's over with. He was he meant it. And Jacob, being kind of a, a, a mom's boy, an indoorsman, uh, Esau was the outdoorsman, weapons and killed stuff. And, and so Jacob's pretty smart. He runs for his life, and he goes, hangs out in another country. And he stays with a, a relative named, named Laban. Laban had a really good-looking daughter named Rachel. And Jacob fell in love with her, and so he made this deal with Laban. He said, I will work for seven years if you'll give me your daughter Rachel in marriage. And, and look what happens in Genesis 29 20. So Jacob spent the next seven years working to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Everybody go, oh, ain't that sweet? And then as fairy tales go, he got his wife, and they all lived happily ever after, right? Not so much. Now, I don't know how all this happened because I, I don't know all of the traditions, but I, but somehow Laban tricked Jacob into marrying the older sister Leah. Y'all got to pay attention. Put your thinking caps on here because if you don't get all this, you're going to be totally lost. So I don't know how this happened, but he tricked because after the wedding, the way they did weddings was totally different. And, and he brought Leah, Jacob, uh, Laban brought Leah to Jacob's tent. It was dark. They went in. And so Jacob consummates the marriage with who he thinks is Rachel, but it's really the older sister Leah. When he wakes up in the morning and rolls over and there's Leah. He was not happy with Laban. But here's what you need to know. There's a principle in the Old Testament and in the New, but I'm going to share the Old first. In the Old Testament, in Numbers 32, 23, it says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. In the New Testament, in Galatians, it says that you reap what you sow. So the trickster had reaped tricking. The liar had been lied unto, and, and so his sin came back and rested upon his head. Now, 
Jake had to serve another seven years to get Rachel. So Laban has got 14 years of, of labor out of him for his two daughters. Now, I hope you're following along because now is when the story gets interesting. It gets now. Because I'm telling you, only a fool would marry two women. To marry two sisters is beyond foolish. That's just insane. Because they take sibling rivalry to a whole nother level. All right? They decided to have a contest to see who could have the most sons. Because in that day, a, a woman uh, got value out of how many sons she could bear for her husband. So Leah pops out, four sons! And she says, oh, my, my husband will love me. The score is four to zero and it's driving Rachel crazy because Rachel can't have any children. But back in that day, it was acceptable. I'm just saying in that day, not according to scripture, but their custom was it was acceptable. If you had a servant, you could give your servant to your husband and any children born to that servant would count towards you. So the score is four to zero. So Rachel says, here, take my servant. Jacob being a complete moron because he's already married sister. He's like, okay. And he goes in and he, he has sex with her. She bears two children, two different children. So now it's it's six to nothing. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's four to two. This was Rachel's. I got to keep my story straight. Y'all keeping it straight? I can't. Okay, it's four to two. So then Leah stops having children. She gets desperate and she gives her servant and Jacob goes, okay. And she has two kids. So now it's six to two. And then all of a sudden Leah starts having kids again. And so Leah has two more sons and now it's eight to two. And then at the end of it, Rachel finally has kids and she has two more boys. And so he's got 12 sons. The score is eight for Leah, four for Rachel. And you got this dude who's married to four women, three of whom he never intended to marry. Now, you thought your family was dysfunctional? They invented the term, all right? Now, not only was Jacob a poor husband, but he was a worse father. 12 sons. And his sons turned out more wicked than him. And what we say all the time, as goes the father, so goes the next generation. What were the sons like? I'm glad you asked. One time, they were near a, a town named Shechem. And uh, one of their daughters, uh, one of their sisters was out walking around. And, and a man from Shechem takes her and rapes her. Now, he, after the raping, he decides he wants to marry her. And so he goes to the brothers and he says, hey, I want to marry this. I'm in love with your sister. I want to marry her. And, and they said, well, we don't know about that. And he said, how about this? If, if you'll let us marry your daughters, you can marry our daughters. We'll be happy. There's enough land for all of us. So the brothers go, well, here's the deal. We can't allow our sisters, our daughters to marry uncircumcised people. So not only do you have to be circumcised, every man in the village must be circumcised. If you do that, you can marry our sister. And so the dudes go, sure. And all of the, okay. An eight-day-old son, baby, it hurts, right? You, you, you've seen babies, be, okay, that hurts. Can you imagine an adult? The third day, when the Bible says when their pain was the greatest, the sons come in and they murder the entire town to avenge the rape of their sister, their daughter. That's pretty messed up. Reuben was the firstborn of all 12 sons. He actually slept with one of his father's wives. That's not a real good thing. Another brother, Judah, we talked about this back if you were here over Christmas. We talked about this in the, in the Christmas series. But Judah was tricked by his, his son had died. Actually, a couple of sons had died, been married to this girl. And, and she didn't have an heir. She didn't have a son. So she tricked the father, Judah, into sleeping with her. So her father-in-law sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. That's kind of messed up. (laughs) 
And then to top it all off, in, in this whole scheme of things, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons, and he's the first son born to Rachel, and Rachel is the one that Jacob loved in the first place, the only woman that he's married to that he loved. And so Joseph becomes his father's favorite, and everyone knows it. And his brothers get so jealous that they hatch this plan. They sell him into slavery to Egypt, and they tell his father that he was killed by wild animals, and, and their father almost died from grief because this was his favorite son, the first son from the woman that he loved. Compared to this bunch, this family, your past is not so bad, right? And so what I want you to get out of this today, God gave us this story so that you can know that in spite of anything, anything in your past, against all odds, Joseph became a man of greatness and I'm going to show you how to do it. There, there is a process to this. So the first thing you got to do, how can you, how can you become a person of greatness, a man or woman of greatness? First is refuse to let your past define your present. That's real easy, right? Refuse to let your past. I tell people all the time, sitting in jail, when I'm, when I'm talking to people across the window, I say, this does not have to define you. What you do from this point forward defines the rest of your life. You don't have to let what's happened to you in the past define your future. Well, that's easily said. How do we do it? Very specifically. Number one, you change rulers. I put, I put the wrong thing there. That should be, that's, that's not their fault. That's my fault. Change rulers. I like rulers better than designers. Change rulers. Now, here's what I mean by that. The problem is the past can be a dictator that rules your present and your future. And the only way to overcome the past is to change rulers. Let God be your ruler today. Now, the story of Joseph was put in the Bible to remind us that no matter what you do, if God is with you, something good can come out of the rest of your life. And, and here it is in Genesis 20, uh, 39, verses 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph and blessed him greatly as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So he was sold into slavery, went to Potiphar's house, and it says the Lord was with him there. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Now, there are things in your past that you may not be able to have anything to do with. You can't fix it. You may not be able to get your parents to accept you. Your brothers or sisters may not be able, they may not talk to you. You can't get them to, to, to uh, communicate and, and resolve things. There may be something that your boss did to you in the past that you can't go back and fix. But with God in your presence, something good is about to happen. Now, the key words in this passage are, the Lord was with. The key words weren't Joseph. And by the way, this is a pet peeve of mine. Don't ever say that you know somebody is a great man of God because we're all just men and women. There is a great God, though, who shows favor on certain people because they're obedient to him. Scripture says, if you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. So it has nothing to do with a great man or woman. It has everything to do with a great God who has mercy and grace on some of us sinners who decide to walk and follow him. So Joseph was not a great man of God. He was a man who knew a great God and he served him faithfully. And the Bible says over and over, the Lord was with him. The key words uh, were not dysfunctional family because some of you think you're defined by your dysfunctional family. The key words have nothing to do with the past. They have all to do with the present. And if you had lived in that day, you and everyone who had heard of Joseph would say, surely the Lord was with him. And that's the words that you need to hear today. If the Lord is with you, your situation does not have to be what it is today. It can be better in the future. God's got some plans for you, but you must align your life with his. Now, what happens next? 
Joseph goes to jail for a crime he doesn't commit. Wait a minute, you just said the Lord was with him. Yes, but look what happens when he goes to jail. Genesis 39, 21. But what, what are those next four words? Wait, what was it? But the Lord was with Joseph there too, and he granted Joseph favor with the chief jailer. There was no better place for Joseph to be than in jail. Why? Because sometimes God has to take you to the bottom before he can bring you to the top. Sometimes you got to go downhill before you can go uphill. The problem is, is when you're at the bottom and you think that's the end of the trip. And some of you have given up. But if the Lord is with you, today and tomorrow can be radically different. I've seen it over and over. It's why I've chosen to spend my life doing this because I don't think there's anything more important than what we're doing this morning. I hope somebody shoots a deer. woo But to me, it's a whole lot more important to be worshiping the risen Savior and figuring out how we do this life and figuring out how these teenagers and how the children in the back can follow after this same God because our world is not getting better. It's getting darker. And Jesus said this was going to happen. It's going to get worse. And I feared to bring my children into the world. And some of you, we've had this conversation. Some of you are like, man, I thought it was bad when we had kids. I'm scared for my kids' kids because of what's going on. So they better know who Jesus is. They better change designers. They better change rulers so that they follow after God. When God is with you, something is about to happen. When when you let God rule your life, it means that your, your past no longer controls your future. It means what happened five years ago, ten years ago, or even maybe last month no longer dictates your steps. Is what happened to you still real? Yes, there is no surgery that's going to make you forget it. But God is the one who will take what happened to you and turn it into something good. God will never, never waste a hurt in your life. If you'll allow him to, he'll do something good from it. And God knows that the lessons that you need to learn along the way, he knows which one you need to learn before you're ready for the next step, the next phase. So here, here's the next thing on your listening guide. The problems in your past should become object lessons. If you were to come to our small group, my small group, you would hear stories of what, of where we were, but, but you never hear stories that we stayed there. God has got us on this journey and, and we're not finished. So we, we have these object lessons and you'll hear, if, if you hear me any amount of time, you'll hear me go back to certain object lessons over and over. This one, I know God moved. This one, there was not a doubt that I couldn't have done anything. God had to do that. And you need to have some spiritual markers in your life that you go back to over and over. Some object lessons to show you where you need to be different, not excuses for you to repeat your past mistakes. The past is a terrible ruler, so you need to change rulers today. Second thing you need to do is change families. Now, God eventually elevated Joseph to the rank of prime minister, mister, prime minister, prime minister in uh, Egypt. But something was still missing. It was family. He, he was sold off and his family still in another land. So God gave him a new family, new relationships to replace the messed up ones. Joseph got married to a woman named Asenath. There's a name for you. And they had two sons. Now, I want you to notice the names that Joseph gave to his sons in a foreign land. Genesis 41, verses 50 through 52. During this time, before the arrival of the first famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of Heliopolis. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, because here's what Manasseh means. God has made me forget all my troubles and the family of my father. So Manasseh means he has helped me forget. He names his first son Manasseh because God has given me something that I can have joy in now. 
not the pain of my past. Second son, Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of suffering. By naming his sons this way, Joseph was saying, I'm not going to be looking at my past. I'm going to pay attention to now, and I'm going to have a better future. He didn't forget the past, but those events no longer hurt him. And if you were here last week, remember we talked about being leashed up to your past? Joseph very firmly reached over, unleashed from the past, and he said, it will not define who I am in the future. And he became a great man because of that. Appropriate relationships will help you dwell on today and the future, not the past. If old relationships are destroying you, maybe you need to make some new relationships. If the old relationships are destroying you, it's because you don't have the right relationships to take their place. And no one, no one is talking about getting a new spouse. Well, she's the problem. He's the problem. No. If you really want to see what the problem is in your marriage, just look in the mirror. Spend some time talking to that person. Because you can't change the other one. So we're not talking about changing spouses. All I'm saying is the reason that some folks are depressed is because they hang out with depressed folks. And depressed folks that do drugs and drink alcohol, those are depressants. They get more depressed. And and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. The reason some folks are unfaithful to their marriages is because they hang out with people who are unfaithful to their marriages. So if you want to change in direction, hang out with people who are going somewhere. Find a different group to be with. Because if if that scar still hurts 10 years later, something's wrong. God wants to teach you some stuff. He wants to give you a Manasseh experience where he helps you forget, not not literally forget, but where he brings the joy today so much greater than the pain of the past. He wants to give you an Ephraim experience. He wants to make you fruitful right in the middle of that pain. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm seeing it on a weekly basis that when people refuse to be defined by those labels, God uses them today, not only so that they have a better future, so that people who know them, I'm just telling you, come, if you want to go deep, come to our small group. And I'm not saying the others, I don't know what's going on there. Y'all, y'all, Joe can tell you when he preaches about his small group. We're not going to let John preach. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <clears throat> when people come and they are totally honest and they refuse to be defined by their past, incredible stuff can happen today and in the future. Many of us can't love our current families because we're so stuck with the messed up pain from our families that we grew up in. And so we're missing what God has for us. So here's my suggestion. If you had a bad father, get a new one. You had a bad mom, get a new one. Brothers and sisters you don't get along with, get new ones. You know where you get them? In the church. The church is called the family of God for a reason. So if you had bad siblings, you've got to get some new, new ones here. Jesus told his followers this, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will here in return and will have eternal life. And then look what God says. I love this verse. And I can't tell you how many people through the years have quoted this verse because they either had a bad dad or a completely absent dad. God says he'll be a father to the fatherless. The family of God was put here to give you appropriate relationships. I'm just going to tell you, men, there are children all over this church who need as many godly men as possible to love them and show them the way. Their kids in the back If you'd give one hour a month and go back there and just hang out with those kids, 
they'd be all over you. And then when they get into the teenage years and they're struggling with mom and dad, you might have the influence to keep them from walking the wrong way. Ladies, there are, there are girls all over this church who don't know what a godly woman looks like. And we need as many, as, as many godly influences in their lives as possible. The family of God is the replacement family for the messed up family that you had. That's what Joseph's family was for him, and that's what the church can be for you. So if you want to know how to be great in the future, you got to change uh, rulers, you got to change families, and then third, change your focus. And this was the last point last week, but it's so important, i got to come back to it. Change your focus, because here's why. Your focus will determine your feelings. I love this. Um, Corey Ten Boom uh, suffered greatly in Nazi in a Nazi death camp. Here's what she said about focus. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed, right? Everybody can agree with that? Look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. She said, but if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. So if there's stress, if there's anxiety in your life, I can tell you, you're either looking at your past, you're looking at the world, you're not looking at Jesus. Because he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says, cast your, your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And he says, finally, brothers, pray about everything. And he says, when you pray and you give thanksgiving, then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, I, I, I look at him first. He exchanges his peace for my anxiety. So you can, you can throw this back at me. If you see me stressed, and Joe and John will. They, Joe doesn't so much, but John looks for opportunities. <laughs> he just looks for opportunities. Love him, but I do too. We, we give each other a really hard time. But, but I expect this because do you believe it or not? When you get stressed, what are you looking at? Because I, I promise you it's not Jesus. One of the things that we hear about all the time, and, and this drives me crazy. How many of y'all love politics? Let me just, let me see your hand. Anybody love all of the political announcements and you love commercials? No one? Come on. I hate it too. Wears me out. Y'all ever get political f- fatigue at this time of year before the election? So y'all, y'all go vote and, and, you know. But, but here's what happened. We hear all the time about approval ratings. And to me, it's kind of funny. And I read the articles, Congress, Approval ratings are at the lowest point ever. I'm like, some point they're going to go negative because they keep going down. You know, the president's approval rating, it doesn't matter which president, the president's approval ratings hit an all-time low. That's news around here. And I got to thinking, you know, we're kind of like politicians, but we're a whole lot like the Wemix because we spend our lives trying to improve our approval ratings from humans. And and the the... The crazy thing about that is no matter how hard you try to impress some people, some people just aren't going to be impressed. Y'all figured that out yet? If you hadn't, you're not old enough. You'll figure out that, that you can't impress some people. But our maker is telling us that he loves us just the way we are. And, and if you don't feel valuable, God says, It's because you're looking the wrong way. Because God says, you want to know how valuable you are? I will give my son to die in your place. Now, I I, I don't know if you know me very well, but but let's say that that I have to make a choice between Hannah or Rachel and you. So, So I have to make a choice between Hannah lives or you live. 
or Rachel lives or you live. You're going to die. <laughs> right? I don't expect you to make a choice for me over your children. That's what's so crazy. Because God said, I have a choice between you or my son. I choose you. If that doesn't motivate you to follow that type of God, I don't know what will because something has blinded your mind. And actually, Scripture says that. Scripture says the God, lowercase g, of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel, the glory of the gospel of Christ. And, and when we get our eyes off of Christ and onto something else, we start acting just like the world. See, I, I read years ago that, that when, when non-Christians have problems, God allows Christians to have the very same problems so that the world can see the difference. I'm afraid there hadn't been a lot of difference in the way we act and non-Christians. You agree with that? So something's got to change. Now, I have a, a couple of pots here. Not, not pot. I have pots. <laughs> now, I've got one, and this one cost a buck. Anybody want to buy it for a buck? You see that? What's the problem with it? So if I put this in the silent auction next year, nobody's buying it, right? It's cracked. It's broken. It actually has white duct tape. Duct tape's awesome. White duct tape holding it together. Now, I've got this crock or this pot, and it probably doesn't feel very valuable, especially when I've got this one around. And see, I think this one says, you're not as good as me. What's wrong with you? And this one feels shame because he's cracked. Won't hold anything. And this one is all strutting around feeling good about itself. But here's the problem. It's empty. So is this one. So regardless of what I paid for these, what's on the inside is what matters. Now, I think a lot of us probably feel more like this pot than this one, right? Right? Nobody's going to say it. Who feels like this one? Nobody's going to admit that. But here's the cool thing. The Bible says that, that if you will give your heart to Jesus Christ, that by the power of his Holy Spirit, he will come and fill you. And he'll make you valuable, not because you feel valuable, because what's inside is valuable. Check this out. This is, this is one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. We who have this spiritual treasure are like common clay pots. In order to show that the supreme power belongs to God, not to us. God gives spiritual power and value to every human being who asks. And then he expects one clay pot to go tell another clay pot how to be valued and how to live forever. God can invite, invade your life and, and infuse it with power, but only if you change rulers, only if you change families, and only if you change your focus. Would you bow your heads for just a second? Today, the, the prayer is going to be real, real simple. And, and I don't ever want you to pray anything because you feel pressured. But, but if you need to make some changes in your life, 
I want you to pray that simple prayer. God, I need to change rulers. God, I need to change families. Or God, I need to change focus. Whatever it is. Those are three options. God, I need to change. You fill in the blank. Father, I pray that you change new life into a power-infused family of fully devoted Christ followers. So that when we go through difficult times, we, we raise each other up, we support one another, we encourage one another, but also so that the world can see the difference and how Christ followers live. And then they'll want to follow you too. We're just, we're just clay pots, Lord. What makes us valuable is your son died for us. So give us this power and make changes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.